The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. I want to go back to Isaiah chapter 6. And tonight, I want to speak to you on on outlook, uplook, and inlook. Outlook, uplook, and inlook. We covered a little bit of this this morning, and some of this, uh, for you that were here, will be a little bit of a review, uh, but hopefully I'll try not to take uh, too much in the way of review, but it's important that we understand what Isaiah's outlook would have been when he wrote this. Um, you recall that Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 1 tells us that he wrote these visions, from, these were visions from God, this was a prophecy that God gave him in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, uh, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. This morning we reminded ourselves that Uzziah started out as one of the better kings of Judah. He was uh, quite possibly the best king that they'd had since Solomon. Uh, Began to reign at age 16 and reigned for 52 years, over half a century he was the king of, of Judah and started out great. He's defeated the Philistines, defeated the Ammonites, and built fortifications and improved agriculture and just really made everybody feel good about themselves again, no doubt, in in Judah. He had rebuilt some things that needed to be rebuilt. He had strengthened some things that needed to be strengthened. But when he was strong, 2 Chronicles chapter 26 tells us in verse 16, his heart was lifted up to his destruction. And what he did, as you recall, is he decided that, but I don't, I don't know all of the problems that he had. I don't know if he started out as a narcissist, he was focused, focusing on himself, or, or if he maybe started out humbly as King Saul did. King Saul was little in his own eyes at one point, but when he got big in his own eyes, that's when he started having problems. So this, this king, Uzziah, uh, he, he, became, he became lifted up, and, and I want to tell you, any time your heart is lifted up, it will be to your destruction. And that's what happened to him. And so um, he decided, you know, I'm, I'm this big king, and I'm, a, uh, I'm doing all these great things, the Lord's blessing me. I don't need these priests. I, I don't need, you know, I know God said there's a certain order to worship, there's a certain way we're supposed to do it, but I'm going to go do it myself. I'm going to burn the incense to... Uh, uh, to, the, to, to God that the priests normally are supposed to do. And when he went in there to do that, uh, the rest of the story is that uh, the priest withstood him to his face and God brought down leprosy upon him. It, that, you know, every, every uh, type of disease is not necessarily from God. Every time somebody gets cancer, you can't say, well, God gave it to him, okay? Uh, every time someone got leprosy in the Old Testament, it, did, it wasn't because God sent it. But this time, God sent it as a judgment upon him. And the, answer, and the result of that was that he had to live in quarantine for the rest of his life. I don't know if that was 10 years or 20 years, but he, he, was, he lived a long time, and it was at the height of his reign when this happened. So that put the country in turmoil. That put the citizenry in uproar. That, that was, can you imagine? Li- well, I, yeah, you can imagine it, can't you? You can imagine the leader of your country being in quarantine. When I started thinking about this sermon, it wasn't, it was Wednesday of this week when the Lord began to put it on my mind to preach it. It wasn't Thursday or Friday 
when the president was diagnosed with coronavirus. But it's amazing how that the Lord works in mysterious ways in, in leading uh, his preachers to preach. I don't know that that's why he led me here, but I can tell you this. I know I can identify with the people of Isaiah's day better today than I could last Wednesday. <laughs> But their leader was in quarantine. He was in a separate house for the rest of his life. And something I didn't mention this morning that also was a problem. You see, think about this. They've had steady progress. Um, they've, had, they've had great things happening in their country. And suddenly, suddenly the, their leader was struck down through his own pride. But he was struck down. And also... On towards the end of King Uzziah's reign, there was a man named Tiglath-Pileser. Weird name, I know, and it's really more of a title than a name. But he began to reign in a country called Assyria. And that was around 745 B.C. Um, when he began to reign. Uzziah's reign ended about 742 B.C., if our numbers are correct. So right towards the end of this this good, originally good king who got lifted up with pride and the country became in turmoil because of that. At the end of his reign, this Assyrian leader rose, a great war leader, and he began to threaten Israel, the northern kingdom, and Judah, the southern kingdom. And what you're going to find, one of the prophecies that if you read the book of Isaiah, one of the prophecies that Isaiah gives is that in about, I think it's about 60 or 70 or 80 years, Assyria is going to destroy the northern kingdom, Israel, and take them captive, and, and we'll see them no more. Judah, Judah lasts up into the Babylonian captivity, and then through it, the Lord brings them back. But the ten northern tribes of Israel are scattered to the winds by uh, the progeny of this Assyrian dictator. Okay? So it's a time of great turmoil in the nation from both a political and a military standpoint. But more than that, and I want to go a little bit deeper to today, tonight, than I did this morning maybe. It was a time of spiritual uh, unrest in the nation. Uh, remember what we read this morning in Isaiah chapter 1? Uh, that is, he, he, We won't reread all of it, but notice verse 3. Th this is the vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos. This is the vision God gave him. He was a prophet. God gave him this vision. And he said, The ox knoweth his owner, and the ass his master's crib, but Israel doth not know, my people doth not consider. <laughs> so in other words, the dumb animals out there know where to go. They know where their home is. They know who their owner is. But Israel, made up of God's very elect people, the chosen people of God on this earth, Okay, uh, which in a corporate sense, they were the chosen people. And also uh, they were filled with God's elect people uh, in the eternal sense. <laughs> and these people were God's children. They weren't, just, they weren't just reprobates, unregenerate out there. They were God's people. My people, he says, Israel does not know. My people does not consider. You, have, you know what Hosea says about them at one point? He says... Uh, uh, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. My people, beloved, that's you and I, can be in that condition. They are, there are God's people out there who are being destroyed today for lack of knowledge. Not in an eternal sense. 
Not that they're being destroyed and cast into hell. What they're being destroyed from is they're being destroyed from their witness, from their testimony, from their fellowship with God. I have four children. Love them all dearly. They will always be my children. The relationship is set and that will never change. And praise God, I have good fellowship with them right now. But you know, they could do something in their lives to destroy the fellowship that I have with them. Now, quite frankly, I could do things in my life to destroy my fellowship with them as well. But, but using me as a type of God, okay, God's not going to do anything to destroy the fellowship between him and his children. You know, I think about this often. I've used this before here. We often get to the point in our lives where we think the Lord is clean gone forever. I just can't find him. I look around, brother, buddy, I can't see him in my life. Where is he? Oh, I've just gotten so far away from God. We're so far apart. And I think of that story about the, the couple that had been married for 50 years. And they're riding down the road in this pickup truck. And, uh, and he looks over at his wife. And she's weeping. And he says, honey, what's wrong? She said, oh, I just... I was just noticing here as we're riding along how things have changed. He said, what do you mean? She said, when we were first married, everywhere we went in your pickup truck, we were sitting right together, hugged up close together. Your arm was around me and my arm was around you. And now look at us. We're so far apart. They rode on down the road a little bit where the husband was thinking. And he said, well, honey, I hadn't moved. <laughs> Think about it. <laughs> Think about it. See, that's the way it is with our relationship with God. God hadn't moved. If, you find our, if we find ourselves apart from God, it's not because he's moved. He's still in the driver's seat. Sometimes we slide all the way over to the, to the window, don't we? Because we want to look out at the world. We want to see what's going on when we really ought to be right up beside the Lord. That's what God's people had done in this day. And, and I want you to notice something, something, something else. Um, in the third chapter of Isaiah, this is something we didn't go to this morning. So you're getting, you're getting a little review, but you're getting a little new stuff too, okay? You know what one of the judgments is for God's people forsaking him? And, and I mean, I don't, I don't mean necessarily on an individual basis. Let's, let's talk about a corporate people of God. Let's, talk, let's, let's think about our nation, okay? In this case, it was the nation of Judah. You know what happens when we, when we get away from God? One of, the, one of the things God does is He lets us. Okay? He lets us. You know, one of, the, one of the beautiful things about having a close relationship and close fellowship with God is that He will help guide us. He will help providentially clear the path for us. And He said, you know, He, he tells us in, in, over in Proverbs, uh, no, you don't have to turn there, but I'm going to turn there just to get it right. Over in Proverbs chapter 3, very famous, well-known um, statement. He says in verse 5, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not to thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. And that word direct literally means almost like taking a bulldozer and straighten it out. <laughs> Brother Dan's been doing some work over at our house on John Morgan's uh, pad and, and John Morgan and Meredith's pad and driveway and he's been straightening it out, you know, in places that needed to be straightened out. 
Makes, instead of a crooked path, you see, winding all over the place, God, when we walk with Him, when we acknowledge Him in all of our ways, He directs our path. He does that in a corporate way. Uh, I believe He does that for a nation that is, that, is, uh, 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 that is trying to do His will, okay? But you know what He does when we don't try to do His will? When we get away from Him? Don't count on Him to direct your paths when you get away from God down the broad path, okay? Notice what it says in chapter 3 of Isaiah. For behold, the Lord, the Lord of hosts, doth take away from Jerusalem and from Judah the stay and the staff. Now, that's talking about those things you can rely on. The stay, the, the support, the, the, the guide, okay? The foundation, if you will. The whole stay of bread and the whole stay of water. That's the sustenance, right? You know, Amos tells us about a time when there'll be a famine, not of bread or of water, but of the hearing the word of the Lord. You know, sometimes God, that's one of the things God will do is he'll say, okay, you want to drive this boat, you drive it. I'm going to back off and let you have it. Here comes the hurricane, you have it. Good luck. <laughs> he'll let you toss about all over the place. If you want to drive the ship, you know, I don't want to drive the ship. You know, the, the, the apostles the disciples were in the ship one time, and Jesus was asleep, and they tried to do it themselves. They took over. They, they were fishermen, say, hey, we can handle this. The storm came up, and before they knew it, the ship was about to capsize. It was, about, it was full of water. And finally, they went and woke up the master, and he just sort of snapped his fingers. I mean, he didn't literally snap his fingers, but you know what I'm saying. He, he just, in the blink of an eye, he had taken care of the problem. They should have turned it over to him to start with, you see. They should have woken him up before they got into the mess. He says, the Lord is taking some things away from Jerusalem. Look at verse 2. The mighty man, this is things he's taken away. And the man of war, the judge, and the prophet, and the prudent, and the ancient. What's he talking about here? He's taking away people that have good sins. <laughs> okay? He's taking away wise men experienced men. You remember when Solomon's son, Rehoboam, took over as king? He had, he had access to all the ancient men, the older men that had experience and were wise, and they gave him some advice about what to do, but he didn't listen to them. He wanted the young men that had no experience, but boy, they were full of vim and vigor. You know, they were, they were out there ready to, uh, to go out and, and do whatever it takes to make themselves a name. And, and, and the advice that they gave him split the kingdom in two. Isn't that something? He said, God said, as a judgment here, when you turn away from God, Israel, when Judah, when you're leaving, you've left him. And so... God says, I'm just not going to give you any more mighty men or wise men or ancient men that have experience. The captain of 50, the honorable man. Boy, there was a famine of honorable men in that day. Does that sound familiar? Mm. The counselor, the cunning artificer, and the eloquent orator. So what is he going to do? Well, look at verse 4. I will give children to be their princes, and babes shall rule over them. Now, I want you to understand, this morning I made some statements about our current political climate, but this is not a political message. Many of you know where I stand on the presidential race and on uh, politics in general in Alabama. You know uh, the party I'm a part of. You understand all that. 
But I want you to understand that this is not a political message, okay? And what I'm about to say to you is not a political statement. It's a statement of observation of what I see in our nation today. And let me just remind you that political parties will never save us. I don't care. I, we should seek out the parties that, are the mo that have the platforms that are the clearest, uh, closest to the Bible. But understand those parties are made up of men and women that are, are, many of them have no interest in really doing the right thing, biblically speaking. Okay? So what I'm about to say to you is not a political statement. It's a statement about the condition of our nation today. I'm sure some of you watched the debate. I'm sure you did. I actually watched the whole thing, and I wish I hadn't. <laughs> and this verse came to my mind within about five or ten minutes of watching this debate. I will give children to be their princes, and babes shall rule over them. We saw the two men, who will, one of which will be our next president, uh, fussing and arguing like five-year-olds on the playground. Okay, now you can say there's reasons for that, and there are, I'm sure. I'm not taking sides. I'm not saying one was better or worse than the other. But all I'm telling you is, is that there was a time in our nation when that kind of debate would never have happened. Now, I don't know. They didn't have debates in the day of Isaiah. But I know this. God says, one of my judgments upon your land is I'm taking away the wise, honorable men. And I'm going to just give you little children to rule over you. Or, in other words, not, literal, not literally a five-year-old, but a man or a woman who acts like a five-year-old. You see? That's where they are in, in spiritually. Now, this doesn't just mean they're king. This doesn't just mean the princes and the captains. Of, this also is talking about the prophets, the preachers of that day. The preachers of that day were children. They were like little babies when they got up to preach. They got up to spout off knowledge that they really didn't have. They got up there to say things that supposedly came from God that didn't really come from God. They had men and women in that day who would get up and act and say, I'm a prophet, I've had a dream, I've had a vision, and they would tell things that were contrary to Scripture. I ask you again, sound familiar? Sound familiar? There's not hardly a corner, at least in the deep south, there's not a corner of most towns where you can't find a, a church or a preacher. <laughs> or see, you, just, you just go down, you know, and I realize in some places uh, in this nation it's not that way, but at, down here in the quote-unquote Bible Belt, there's churches everywhere. I know, I know one or two preachers. And, and, and please understand, I'm not... Uh, I'm not in a position to judge their um, eternal state. I actually believe the ones I'm thinking about are children of God. But they go out, and they, one particular is going, I'm, I'm going to start me a church. I'm going to just start preaching what I think and feel is right. Not what the Bible says. Not what the, 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 the one or two I can think that I'm thinking of right now have have a, an, an understanding. Look, I, there's, there's so much about the Bible that I don't know. 
Every time I go into the Word of God, I feel like I'm just a, I, myself, I'm just a baby. But I've, I try my best. I struggle to, 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 to uh, study and to, and to dig deep into the Word of God and do the best I can. And I know men, but let's, let's get me out of the way. Think about some of these preachers we've heard this weekend. And some of the preacher, Brother Buddy and others that I know of. Think about Sonny Piles. You know, he's the... He's the uh, standard by which all of us preachers judge each other, right? <laughs> At least I'm talking about it in a, in a timely sense. We should be obviously uh, judging ourselves according to uh, comparing ourselves to Christ. But, uh, but you know, Sonny Piles could quote the Bible. He'd get up in the stand so many times uh, that I've seen him preach, uh, and he wouldn't even take a Bible into the stand. And he'd quote these long passages that he had committed to memory and my point about that is I see so many today that don't even know. They, they begin reading a version of the Bible that you can't even tell is the Bible. There's this version out there. I'm not picking on folks, but there's this version out here called the, the Message. It, and that's with a capital M. It's, the, that's a, it's called a translation. <laughs> but I promise you, if you read that, you're not going to be able to... If you hear somebody... Brother Buddy's talked about this before. If you hear somebody quote a verse out of the message, it's, it's probably less than a 50% chance you're going to know what they're talking about. You're going to even know that that's in the Bible because it's, it's been so distorted and so, if you will, dumbed down, you know? I saw these great preachers from times past that have studied, and, I, and, and now it's like there's children, people that are babes in Christ going out there, children of God, but they don't have any deep understanding whatsoever or even any shallow understanding in some cases of the Word of God. I could go on down that path, but you know what I'm talking about, and I'm not going to... Uh, I, I don't think it'd be any good to keep going, but I just ask you this question. The outlook in Isaiah's day, does it remind you of anything? Does it not sound a whole lot about like the outlook that we have today? I don't know about you, but the outlook doesn't look very good to me. I'm not convinced that, I don't know what's going to, I'm not even convinced we're going to have a president on November 3rd. It may be weeks, if not months, before we know who the next president is. I think it's going to be a fight. I, I don't. We're in turmoil here, and 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 I'm not convinced that uh, some of the you know we just saw recently the uh, leader of one of the conservative, uh, the conservative Liberty University, okay, founded by Jerry Falwell. His his son has been fired. You know why? For moral problems okay i'll just leave it at that we got babes ruling over us in both the political and the spiritual sins so this morning we said god gave isaiah what he needed you know what he needed he didn't need an outlook he needed an uplook <laughs> he needed an uplook and in isaiah chapter 6 We'll read it again uh, in your presence tonight. In the year that King Uzziah died, probably the most tumultuous year of his life, the king had died. Now there's a new king coming on the scene, and this new king is not going to be as faithful even as Uzziah was. And ultimately his grandson will be one of the worst kings in the whole history of the nation of Judah. In the, king, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw a pathway to political freedom. No. I saw a 
a, a seminary set up that's going to train better preachers. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. You know what Isaiah saw? He saw what God knew he needed to see. He said, I saw also the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. See, what, what Isaiah needed, God knew he needed an uplook. <laughs> he needed to quit looking around and he needed to quit worrying about the things that were out there. They were going to affect him regardless, but he needed to be looking up so he could see the Lord God of hosts. That word high there, he needed to see the Lord high and lifted up. That word high means lofty or exalted. And the train, listen to this, the train filled the temple. That's the skirt of his robe. That's not the full robe itself, just the very skirt, the bottom part of the robe of God filled up the temple that he was looking at. And I don't believe he was looking at the physical temple. <laughs> I believe what God did here is he opened up the doors of heaven so that Isaiah could see what's going on there. And by the way, <laughs> there's no time in heaven. Isn't it kind of funny how every time somebody got a vision of heaven, it looks kind of the same, doesn't it? We get a few more details from John and from Ezekiel and others, but it seems like every time they open up the door of heaven, reckon they're seeing the same sight? Because <laughs> there's no time in heaven. Reckon they're seeing the same sight just in their own time? It says that the, the robe, the skirt of his robe, the train filled the temple. And the seraphim here, who are, uh, who are the angels of God, notice that they, notice that it says in verse 2, one, each, above it stood the seraphim, above the throne. And each one had six wings, with twain he covered his face, with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. In other words, six wings one said he was flying with, one covered his feet, and one covered his eyes. I don't know what this exactly means, but I do know that God told Moses, no man can look upon me and live. I'm, I'm not sure that maybe the seraphim can't even look upon the face of God. They had to cover their eyes. But in any event, whatever that does mean, these amazing creatures, these creatures, their name implies some kind of fire, okay? Some kind of fiery type creature, which no doubt would be glorious they were up there flying around with these wings that and the other wings that were covering parts of their body and they said holy 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 is the lord of hosts the whole earth is full of his glory now notice it says one cried unto another okay in other words there was there were uh there were uh there were seraphims. We're not told exactly how many, but there were multi a multitude of them. And, and it's like, there, it's called an antiphonal choir, okay? It's where you have a, a set of folks over here and they'll sing a verse. And then a set of folks over here facing them, they'll sing a verse back to them. And it just sort of builds up and builds up. And each verse is more and more glorious than the other. And that's the kind of idea here is that, that, is that this would have been a rich and a powerful scene. And the sound, according to John the Revelator, he said the sound of the voice of God was as, as the, the sound of ru rushing mighty waters. I've been to Niagara Falls. I've heard the water fall as it goes over the brink of that great cliff. I've heard the roar of that as it plummets down to where it, uh, it roars and, and, and boils down there uh, where, the, where the water comes together. And it's an amazing sight and it is also an awesome sight and I can't even, it can't even compare to what 
uh, to what Isaiah was seeing here and what he was hearing. The sound of this shook the very foundations of the throne room and the smoke from the incense filled the room. Yes, he needed to see the Lord high and lifted up. He needed to see the earth full of the glory of God. Notice in verse 3, he said, The whole earth is full of His glory. God knew He needed to be reminded that, listen, I'm the God of heaven and I sit upon my throne and I am high up in the heavens, but I'm the God of all this earth. The whole earth is full of my glory. You know, one of the biggest problems in our world today is that people do not believe or have forgotten that God is the great creator of this universe. <laughs> I'm telling you. that You know, <laughs> uh, in, in, in Genesis chapter 1, God, we're told, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Pretty simple statement, but, uh, but, an, uh, but an awesome statement, a powerful statement. You know, <clears throat> my daddy built up the farm that we live on, okay? And when daddy was alive and in charge of that farm, you know, they... There might have been times that Tim and I would go out there and, and try to do it our own way, <laughs> do our own thing. Uh, uh, you know, I've got a better way, and I'm going to do it better. But listen, if Daddy found out about it, you know what he'd say? Son, this is my farm. <laughs> We're going to do it my way. You know, you know why he had the authority to say that? Because it was his farm. He had built that thing up to where he had it. And, you know, and, and, and my daddy was just the earthly uh, tenant here, really. Uh, think about this, though. What if, what if my daddy had actually created the dirt and had actually built the trees that were growing? Well, my heavenly daddy did that. He has the right to do what he will. We're told in uh, Psalm 115 and verse 3 that said, Our God sitteth in the heavens, he hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. You know why he has done whatsoever he hath pleased? Because he made this place. He owns it. He's the creator. You know, whenever you make something, you feel some ownership in it, right? And you didn't really make it. I've created a brief before to send up on appeal. I've created something, you know, for court to file, a brief in court. And I felt proud of that. I felt like I'm the owner of this, you know. And somebody would come in and just say, uh, one of my assistant DAs maybe would come in and say, I think you need to change that. Oh, no, I think it's fine like it is. It's mine. I made it, you know. I created it. I have, and I would take that and I would file it. And and I had some ownership in it, but guess what? I didn't make the ink. I didn't make the paper. The atoms that comprise that paper were created by God. God owned that piece of paper. God owned that thing. I didn't, I didn't come up with the energy and the, and, the, and the mentality to do that on my own. God gave it to me. God created my mind so I could think. He created my hands so I could write and type. And he, God is the... See, <laughs> Whenever God wanted to display His glory, especially in the Old Testament, what would He do? He would remind His audience about the fact that He created this place. Think about Job. When God came to see Job in Job 38 and to ask him some questions, it wasn't to impart some information or to gain information. When He, when he went to Job... <laughs> In, in Job chapter 38, and we don't have time to go, you know, you know why he did it. You know what happened there with Job. I won't 
you don't, see me afterwards and we'll go through it. But, uh, but just to understand that there was a point where God needed to come on the scene in Job's life and remind Job and everybody else who he really was. He wasn't coming there to ask questions to impart or to gain information. It was assumed that Job understood that God was the creator. He was reminding Job of this. You know why? To put Job in his proper place and to put God himself on his throne. Notice what he said. He said, who is this that darkeneth counsel with words without knowledge? Gird up now thy loins like a man. I will demand of thee and answer thou me. Where wast thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare if thou hast understanding. Who hath laid the measures thereof if thou knowest? Or who hath stretched the line upon it? Now, now I want you to think about that for a minute. I want you to think about where we are in our nation today. The answer to the question of how we got here is there was uh, millions and billions of years of evolution that occurred that got us by happenstance to the place where we are today. And therefore, you know, when I'm thinking about that, I'm kind of thinking, boy, I'm, I'm something. I'm something. Think about this. I used to be a, a, a little bit of goo in some primordial uh, uh, pond where, where there was just by, by the luck that uh, the lightning hit just right or the, or the electricity flowed through it by, by, by some kind of coincidence and boom, there was life. And over the billions of years, it's evolved into me. Man, I must really be something, right? I mean, think about it. If we're always progressing, that's what life's doing, right? It's growing. It's getting better and better. You know, that's what the theory is of evolution. It starts out simple and basic, and it evolves into something better. It starts out at the bottom, and it works its way up, you know? And, and according to the theory of evolution, this may not be it, you know? There may be something better coming down the road as we continue to evolve. That kind of puts me on the throne, doesn't it? That puts me in a position of, hey... I'm something. You know what God does when he wants to, re, to remind us, uh, when he wants to uh, establish his glory? He reminds us that we didn't get here by chance and we didn't get here on our own. He says, where were you when I created this world? Sometimes we need to remember that. In the midst of all the troubles, we need to remember that. Isaiah needed to remember that. <laughs> he was... Uh, uh, the whole, he needed to be reminded that the whole earth was created for the glory of God. Why did God create this world? It wasn't so that uh, man could evolve and, and eventually reach heaven on his own. It was because God created it for his glory, for his purposes. It reminds us of what a great God that he is. Psalm chapter 8, listen to this. <laughs> listen to Psalm chapter 8. O Lord our God, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. Now, now, if we're really focusing where we should, we should every day when we get up and we walk outside and we look at the world around us, we should be glorifying the name of God because in this earth his name is excellent. O Lord our, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth who has set thy glory above the heavens. And he goes on to talk about out of the mouth of babes and sucklings, he's ordained strength. And look at verse 3. When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, 
Now, now notice here, he's saying that, uh, that the heavens, when you walk outside tonight, it's, I think it's supposed to be clear tonight, look up into the heavens, look at all the stars, look at the moon. I saw the moon the other day, and I think it was, I think I read somewhere that Mars was this bright uh, orb in the sky next to it over here. It was amazing to look up there and see, I think it was called a harvest moon, I don't know what it, exactly, but I don't care what it was, it was amazing. It was unreal. It was something. And, of course, of course, the evolutionists say that it's just by happenstance that, that we are here today to even see that. But notice what we read here. The heavens are the work of his fingers. The moon and the stars are what he has ordained. And where does that lead us? Oh, Lord, look what we've done together. Me and you, God, we're, we're something else, aren't we? No. He says, what is man? that thou art mindful of him. And the Son of Man, that thou visitest him. Now I know this is a messianic reference, but it's also a direct reference as well. What he's saying is, you look up at the skies and then look at yourself. You look up at the skies and then see what you think about you. You see... Isaiah needed this view because there were men in his way. There were, there were, uh, uh, there were kings, there were princes, there were uh, prophets that were not really, they were false prophets. There were people in his way, there were problems in his life. He needed to be reminded that they are really nothing in the sight of God. They're nothing. All God had to do to create the, to create the universe and the heavens is just to, Flick his fingers out there, you know, just kind of, he spoke the light into existence. He spoke the world into existence and he just flung the stars out there. Isn't that something? <clears throat> and you know, something else he needed to see, he needed to see the Lord as the Lord of hosts. The Lord of hosts. Notice what he said in Isaiah 6 3. <clears throat> he said, Holy, these seraphim said, Holy, Holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And what is he talking about here? That, that carries a military connotation. And the idea is that he is the leader of vast armies. Okay? He is the leader of armies. He is, no, don't, don't let anybody ever tell you that God is the God of the chosen few. That's not what it is. About over in Revelation, the seventh chapter, in the ninth verse, and we just jump right in here. Uh, you read the context, but understand this is a vision uh, that John is having of heavens, much like the vision that Isaiah was having. He said, After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne, and unto the Lamb. See, our God is the God, of, He's the Lord of hosts. He's the God of armies. There's a, you know, that, that gives me some comfort because you know where we are today as a church? We are the church militant. We are the church still in battle. We're not, we're not the church triumphant yet. We're still the church in battle, but we're being led by the Lord of hosts. And praise God, it's not just the few that we see every Sunday that are in that army. It's a multitude which no man can number. And I believe this is literally the truth. They're out of all nations and kindreds 
and people and tongues. Say, well, preacher, what about that, that Amazonian tribe? I read about one not too long ago. There's an Amazonian tribe down there, at least one. I think there's actually two or three that have never had contact with the quote-unquote civilized world. You know, under the theories of men about eternal salvation, every single one of them die and go to hell because they've never heard the gospel. They've never responded to it. They've never given their heart to Jesus. They've never made the decision to follow him because they've never heard about him. Now, some make an exception for that. They said, well, if you never heard about him, then you get to go to heaven. <laughs> well, if that's the case, then we need to quit preaching, okay? We need to quit preaching. We don't want anybody to hear about him because then everybody gets to go to heaven if they hadn't heard about him, you see. You know, that's the problem with so many of the uh, systems of salvation that men preach today is that there has to either be some inconsistencies or some exceptions made, okay? You know, an aborted baby can't choose Jesus, can he? An aborted baby can't give his heart to the Lord. An aborted baby can't participate in what we would call gospel salvation. There's a salvation in the gospel. It's just not eternal salvation, you see. It tells about eternal salvation, which brings me to the next point. And this is what I want to finish with tonight. You see, Isaiah's outlook was pretty, pretty bleak. But God said, you need, to, you need to get your uplook right. <laughs> you need to start looking up instead of out. And what happens when you look up and you see God high and lifted up? What happens when you see the Lord of hosts, the holy, holy, holy God, sitting upon his throne as he really is in all of his power and all of his glory and all of his authority and all of his sovereignty. When you see him there, what is it that happens to you? Uh, uh, Isaiah said in verse 5, I said, woe is me for I am undone because I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. You know, nowhere in Scripture do we read about anybody coming into the presence of God and His glory and sashaying up to Him and saying, Hey, good old buddy, what you been up to? <laughs> you don't ever see that, do you? Now listen, He's the friend of sinners. But before He's the friend of sinners, He's the God of judgment. He's the God of wrath. He's the, God of, he's the Lord our righteousness. He's the Lord of hosts, high and lifted up, thrice holy. And you see what happens, what happened to Isaiah is what needed to happen. Instead of an outlook, once he got the uplook, he began the inlook. <laughs> okay? He needed to see himself for what he was. He was a ruined, downcast sinner. Woe is me, I am undone. You know, that's the response that happens without fail to every single child of God that's, that's had a true vision of the Lord of hosts. Isaiah felt himself to be what he was, a man of unclean lips, a ruined sinner who has no ability. No, he can't even begin to fix the situation he's in. Later on, 
he'll elaborate on that thought over in Isaiah chapter 64. I, I like Isaiah 64. It's the appropriate response to any of us whenever we get a vision of God high and lifted up. And I don't mean just initially when we first, the first time. We need to have this vision on a regular basis. Notice in Isaiah 64 and verse 6, he says, But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Now think about that and what that means. That means that the highest priest is no better than the, than the drunk in the gutter. That the, the, the greatest um, charitable person that you've ever met, those people that, uh, uh, that, that are benefactors, giving out these great vast amount of money, you think, oh boy, that's a good man. He's no better in his, in his flesh than, than the wino in the gutter. Than any sinner you can think, any criminal you can think of, they're all the same. All our righteousnesses. That means maybe you've done tens of thousands of righteous acts. That's what he's talking about here. Righteousnesses that we do. Maybe you've done them, but hey, let me, I, I ask you, as I have so many times, have you ever done anything with a completely pure motive? Have you ever given to the church with a completely pure motive? You know, I've, I've given to people. I've, I've donated to charities. I've given, I've helped people. <laughs> See, here I'm messing it up already, okay? I'm, I'm fixing to tell you, uh, I've helped people that you don't know about. <laughs> I'm proud of that, right? I mean, I mean, seriously, I can't get away from it because, see, I, I shouldn't even tell you that. <laughs> but see, here's the problem. I've helped people that have, uh, have needed it without telling them that I've helped them and without telling anybody else that I've helped them. But, boy, I sure wanted everybody to know it, <laughs> you know? I mean, think about it. Isn't that isn't that our problem? Isn't that what the Apostle Paul was talking about in Romans chapter 7? He says, the good that I do, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I, that's what I want to do. The evil that I would not, that's what I do. And, and I, I, I'm all mixed up inside because I'm trying to do right, but evil is ever present with me. See, that's the problem, y'all. That's the problem. And that's the problem with any workspace salvation. Any salvation that involves you eternally at least. Anything like that, you're going to mess it up. I, I, can't, I can't have any comfort in anything that I've ever done because I've never done anything with a completely pure heart. And see, Jesus came on the scene. The Pharisees thought that would work. Well, hey, we've done this. You know, the rich young ruler said, I've kept all these from my youth. But the problem is, there's one in there say, saying, Thou shalt not covet. <laughs> Thou shalt not covet. You know, I cannot steal. I can keep myself from stealing. Oh, but the other is a matter of the heart, you see. And God demands perfection. He saw himself as the sinner that he was. And he needed to see himself as the sinner that he was because only when you see yourself as the sinner that you are can you see your God as the Savior that he is. Notice what happened here. This man, he said, woe is me. I am undone. I am, I've seen this whole thrice holy God, and I know what a sinner I am at this point in my life. Now, he, I believe Isaiah already had been born again. I believe he's already a child of God before this. 
uh, because he'd been writing already. But sometimes, even as a born-again child of God, we need to get a new vision of how sin-sick that we are. And he said, I am, I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. You know what gave him this idea? He has seen, he said, mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. But in seeing himself, in seeing his God as high and lifted up as he was, and in seeing himself as the sinner that he is, he then saw God as the Savior that he really is. He said, Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. <laughs> now, <clears throat> I don't believe, Brother Buddy, that this is the point where he was born again. I don't believe that's what he... He already had a vision of God. He already saw himself as a sinner. The natural man doesn't receive these things. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. They're foolishness unto him. There were many in that day who would have thought this is foolishness because they had no spiritual nature. But you know what this is, I believe? I believe this coal is the symbol of the gospel salvation that we experience. Notice what happened here. This wasn't the point where his sins were taken away. This is the point where he understood that his sins were taken away. Notice what it said. He laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips. Isn't that what happens when, when we hear the gospel? Isn't that what happens? That suddenly, you know, we, we have seen ourselves as a sinner that we are. We have confessed uh, to, to uh, as, as Isaiah has in our hearts at least, that he is, he is the, the true God. He is the Lord of hosts. <laughs> and we are undone. There is no hope for us. Not in man. But look at here. This messenger came. He said, this hath touched thy lips and thine iniquity is taken away. And thy sin purged. That's what the gospel tells us. The gospel doesn't, he didn't say, okay, uh, Isaiah, now you go do something and your iniquity will be purged. Isaiah, you go do something and your sins will be taken away. That's not what he said. See, Isaiah had nothing to do here. Isaiah didn't ask for this. He didn't, he didn't go get this. He didn't do anything like All he said, he was standing there saying, I'm undone. There's no hope for me. And then the message comes, your sin is purged. Your iniquity is taken away. <laughs> That's what we're doing here tonight. I want you to know, child of God, if you see yourself as a sinner that you are, if you see yourself, your God is high and lifted up, let me tell you something. That's a blessing because the gospel message is, is that your sin has been taken away. Your iniquity has been purged. And then he said this. He said, he heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And he said, Then said I, Here am I, send me. Go. That's the message of the gospel. Your sin's purged, now go tell people about it. You know, I'm all about being politically active. But I, it's more important that we, be, that we be ready to tell, be active in the kingdom of God and be ready to tell folks about what has been done for us. See, that's the vision we need. God high and lifted up, seated on his throne, us as the ruined sinners that we are, and, 
and, and the gospel teaching us about what Jesus has done to take away our sins so that we can tell others where to find a refuge. I appreciate your kind attention. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.